and the difference between the quality of um, trial presented at uh, ESMO, ASCO, and DASH, honestly, as compared to the imaging, uh, it's not only nuclear medicine, radiology has the same problem. Um, it was really horrible for me to see how poor our study design was. Hi and welcome to a new episode of the Terragnostic Talks podcast. My name is Gustav Vidar and together with me in the studio, I have the fantastic Annette Andrian. Welcome, Annette. Thank you, Gustav. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Very good. After a long vacation, it seems. Yes, we had to wait some vacation. Was it nice? Yes, a lot of sun, relax, thinking about other things. Great. Great. Then we start the second season of Terragnostic Talks podcast with a new guest. Who is the guest today? Stefano Fanti. Stefano Fanti. Interesting guy. He's a spider in the web. He is a little bit everywhere, I think. Yes. And um, yeah, I agree. Spider in the web. And uh, uh, the humble guy he seems to be really tried to get an answer. How come he is the spider in the web? Yes. So um, we start right right now, I think. Go for the presentation. Take it away. Stefano Fanti is a man truly devoted to his mission to spread the word about PET and prostate imaging. Mr. Fanti is Director of Nuclear Medicine Division and PET Unit at the Sant'Orsola Malpighi Polyclinic in Bologna. He's participated in a lot of research projects on clinical application of PET-CT in oncology, He's been invited as a lecturer at more than 250 national and international meetings, and he's currently on the board of EANM as Congress Chair. As if this wasn't impressive enough, Mr. Fanti is also author of more than 450 full articles published in peer-reviewed international journals. Welcome, Stefano. Back from vacation. How was the vacation? Oh, vacation was great. I went to Sicily, a nice place. I've already been there several times, but it's always great. Sunny, not crowded at all due to the COVID. One of the very few positive side effects of the pandemic. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> we know that you enjoy life, so maybe you could enjoy some, some nice wine and, and food in, in Sicily. Absolutely. You exactly got the point. You know, they got beautiful. Uh, I discovered some white wines. Well, it happens that my girlfriend, she's a sommelier, so she's oh. driving me in that experience. And uh, well, yeah. it was great. Do you have any hints? Some, what is the name of the wines? Uh, well, I discovered the Grillo. Grillo is uh, a local one, which is not very famous outside Sicily, probably, but very interesting. Uh, fruity light, uh, very enjoyable in the sun, uh, easy to drink, a little bit dangerous, I would say, because yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's not so light. I mean, it's a sunny island, so it mm. gets easily to 13 degree and um, not beautiful. Mm. Wow. Great. Sounds great. So, uh, of course, before this uh, talk we're now having, we have done some research and uh, you really, it's so impressive and you really seem to be the spider in the web. 
Um, and uh, I mean, you're engaged in a lot of organizations, groups, uh, cooperation with industry, um, and many people also ask about your advice. How come? What what made you be this spider? <laughs> You're just too kind. I wonder if you really made the research with the correct name. You know, maybe someone else. <laughs> but humble. <laughs> also, we're humble. Very humble. Lucky guy. You know. It, it it it's all about, in my view, it's all about being motivated and having great collaboration. Um, you know, I, I've been very lucky because I've been working with fantastic people at my institution and I got a great collaboration in the entire world. But especially at my institution, my colleagues are fantastic. I mean, it's a group. Uh, we really like each other. We share the vision that we have. So it's easy uh, with a great collaboration to keep on running so many things. Uh, I don't think that the one man show could make any sense at all right now in, in the in the current times it's all about uh, having a great team and i'm really uh, harvesting the fruits of this fantastic uh, group of people that i work with so i guess that it's all due to their capability i mean traveling uh, running congresses writing papers it's not possible without uh, really trusting each other with the people you work on a daily basis yeah, you, and you have been in Bologna for 20 years. Maybe this is the reason that you have a nice team or... Uh, yep, again, uh, it's not about 20 years. It's all my life and generations. My family is from Bologna and, uh, uh, well, I have an accent, as you can... <laughs> it's not Italian, it's Bologna accent, definitely. Mm. Um, and I was very lucky because uh, uh, I started uh, as director in the pet centers uh, uh, 20 years ago. And at that time, it was essentially only me. So I was lucky enough uh, to choose all the people working with me. And we know each other since a long time. Uh, it's a very unique uh, and lucky situation. Fantastic. And how what people, the people you choose, what uh, um, parameters or what features did you go for? Oh, well, choosing it's probably not the appropriate word is uh, i mean you 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 the marriage imply two people always so it was a, a mutual choosing that's to say the people uh, were okay in the position that we can provide them and the other way around um as said i guess it's all about collaboration uh, it's about, uh, in my view, being, uh, well, scientifically sound and curious, uh, but at the same time, very humble, very respectful of the other people, uh, sharing values, sharing a vision. So it's not necessarily to be the, the, the highest, uh, uh, let's say, H index uh, or uh, the, the most fluent English speaker. It's absolutely not about that. It's all about uh, human touch, uh, capability, um, being able of collaborating, respecting each other, promoting each other, being part of the team. So I, I'm really, one of the things I'm, I'm more proud is that uh, even if uh, some of my senior collaborator uh, received a lot of requests, really a lot for becoming director elsewhere, uh, they do stay, the, the, most of them, they are still with me. And uh, just because we really like and enjoy to work uh, together. And it's also about uh, um, providing uh, a, a right rewarding and the right recognition of what other people can do. I mean, not, not avoid being selfish. 
and it's clear that the director is the very first that should never be selfish. Can you tell us a little bit of the work you're doing that you have been doing and that you're doing in Bologna? <laughs> well, I, I used to say that uh, I'm a pet addicted because uh, I started in nuclear medicine in the 90s. Uh, and then there was this uh, unique opportunity that the PET uh, unit was established in the late 90s in Bologna. So I was involved uh, since uh, the really planning. Uh, and we started uh, in a large center. We own our cyclotron. So we decided to go for alternative tracers from the very beginning. Uh, so it was mostly about PET with uh, FDG for sure, but with non-FDG tracers as well. And uh, for example, we started in the prostate field with choline as early as 2003, probably we were among the very first. And that gave us a capability to, to understand the problems, uh, to, to write papers, of course, uh, to get some uh, visibility, but at the same time, understanding how complex is uh, the issue of uh, imaging prostate cancer. And then many other tracers were introduced. And again, it's a, it's a teamwork because you need good radiopharmacist, uh, you need the physicist, uh, and you need a, a great physician to report it. So we, we started using gallium dotanoc for the neuroendocrine tumor, uh, carbon methionine for central nervous malignancy, and so on. And then uh, PSMA came, that was a out of any discussion, a major revolution in nuclear medicine. Uh, we started with PSMA in 2016. So and when we you mean, probably... so, sorry, when you mean, when you say a major revolution, what is your criteria for major revolution? <laughs> what was <laughs> Well, the criteria, it's all about uh, how seriously the clinical colleagues uh, takes you into account. That's to say, uh, we frequently have this joke about bone scintigraphy. You know, bone scintigraphy has been uh, uh, the daily bread and butter for nuclear medicine since the 80s. Uh, but as everybody knows, uh, the role of bone scintigraphy is not truly fundamental. And sometimes uh, you, you have problem with the reports. Uh, reports are not delivered to the colleagues. Uh, and you learn that uh, at the end of the year when you, you make the final cleaning and you find some reports out there and so on. Well, with PSMA PET is never the case because since the very beginning, if you don't provide the reports within, let's say, 24 hours, the urologist or the oncologist is getting crazy and they call you. So, okay, it, it, it's a sort of a paradoxical example, but just to let you know, uh, the way I measure a revolution is the impact that it has in uh, uh, your communication, in your relationship, uh, in the relevance that the uh, colleagues are taking you into. So oncologists were already our best friend because of FDG. So there was no doubt. For example, hematologists uh, were absolutely very happy with us with FDG. Uh, but it was not the case for urologists at all, not for uh, radiation oncologists. Uh, with PSMA, the revolution was uh, absolute. Before treating uh, with, for example, uh, um, radiation salvation therapy, um, it, it was almost never done without a PSMA scan. And it gets uh, clinical practice uh, probably even before we had... Um, 
scientific demonstration of that. So to me, revolution was the number of patients referred, uh, how much they trusted in our relevance for managing the patient. It's, it's all about impact on patient management at the end. Mm. Cool. Uh, you are uh, quite deeply involved in uh, EANM, European Association Nuclear Medicine, and you are the chair of the annual Congress. Uh, and we will come back to that a little more later on. Uh, uh, but I listened to the uh, GeoCast with Declan Murphy and Rune Epen, where you participated in October, I think. Uh, and uh, it was quite funny. Declan said that during the last Congress, there was 139 oral presentation covering PSMA at the Congress in, in uh, October. And yeah, some years ago, there were like four abstracts all written by you <laughs> covering Coglan. Uh, Correct. What is happening, this field? <laughs> well, Declan is not just a, a, a great friend. He's also so brilliant with his presentation. Maybe you have seen at ASCO GU is unforgettable presentation with the Wild West. I guess it was a masterpiece. And he will deliver a special presentation for us in October, ENM. So I can anticipate that to everybody. We agreed that he will be our special guest and he definitely deserve it. Uh, absolutely true. Uh, as said, uh, 15 years ago, we were pioneering the clinical use of choline. And at the same time, it was not so successful because uh, the sensitivity and specificity was good as compared to the comparator, but at the same time was not absolutely sufficient to gain uh, widespread clinical use. What, uh, was it a, a carbon-11 choline? Yeah, sure. But it doesn't make it. Uh, I mean, we, have, we were doing carbon-11 choline just because we had a cyclotron on site. Uh, but even with fluoride, fluorinated choline results were very similar. Uh, so it, it was a diagnostic accuracy that was not sufficient to justify uh, a clinical uh, widespread use. Well, PSMA has so much better um, diagnostic accuracy and uh, so much easier uh, reportability. That's to say the tumor to background is so good that you can easily see the nodes, uh, the local recurrence, uh, the, the bone disease. And so rapidly, but really rapidly, it was incorporated uh, into clinical practice, especially in Australia uh, and in Germany, that for some uh, regulatory reason, uh, were a bit more flexible as compared, for example, to North America, where, uh, you know, the, the approval of PSMA um, ligands, uh, PET, uh, have just been very recent and still ongoing in part. Uh, but the countries that, that has adopted it, uh, so again, Australia, Germany, Austria, and, and then many others, uh, for example, Italy as well, um, was so successful uh, that all the clinical efforts, uh, all the research went rapidly there because it was so easy to to pile up good data. Uh, and and I, I agree with you as, uh, again, ENM chair, uh, I had chance to see how was significant the increase of abstract. And now we have three different uh, subcategories for PSMA diagnostic use, uh, which is amazing because uh, usually one, uh, one category has something like 50 to 60 abstracts. 
submitted at least. So that means that we are next to about 200 abstracts every year for ENM, just on diagnostic PSMA. Now imagine for therapeutical PSMA. And uh, with that uh, fantastic story, history, um, looking a little bit now and for the future, where do you see that PSMA PET imaging fits into the clinic? Oh, yeah, the evolution has been very rapid uh, because it started with biochemical recurrence. That was also the, um, I would say, the only potential use of choline. Uh, it, it happened that I was also part of the EAU panel of uh, guideline for prostate cancer. So I, I have a little bit of, uh, let's say, struggle to introduce choline into the guidelines. And indeed, it was not possible, not because of resistance, but because of lack of scientific data. I have to say that, that the work that EAU is doing is Perfect, fantastic, because it's uh, scientifically sound to every extent. So um, with choline, it was not possible, but with PSMA, it was easy to be introduced uh, in the international guideline. Uh, and after biochemical recurrence, uh, then uh, it was a PSA persistence after uh, intervention, and then uh, it was uh, moved to staging of high-risk patients. Uh, due to more and more good papers, again, uh, many of them coming from Australia and uh, Europe, confirming the role of PSMA PET in those settings. Uh, and then it's uh, still growing because now uh, we are discussing if there is a role also, I mean, staging high risk, it's uh, already almost uh, accepted, but intermediate, uh, it's still very questionable. So it's an area where it may be soon recognized. Uh, imaging of uh, advanced prostate cancer, uh, so not only for biochemical recurrence, but in the castration resistant setting, um, it's still debatable. Uh, but at the same time, I'm quite sure that it will become uh, more and more uh, clinically let's say, use it, especially in the scenario where you have uh, uh, the non-metastatic castration-resistant prostate cancer, which is uh, probably a situation that um, PSMA will make uh, very uncommon because, uh, again, several papers have demonstrated that the non-metastatic CRPC uh, probably are really, really a very minor number because uh, you will find with the PSMA PET scanning uh, that some lesions do exist and uh, were simply not seen by conventional imaging, which is uh, CT and bone scanning. Okay. So you can see it earlier to clarify with this. Yep, and uh, I can see also, again, the clinical impact because when the urologist or the oncologist knows uh, that it's not only resistance uh, to ADT, but uh, it's a demonstration of uh, uh, metastatic lesion, then some uh, drugs are approved in this scenario. So they are, uh, to every extent, entitled to use them. Um, so it's uh, making available for the patient treatment uh, um, a, a wider number of uh, possible drugs, um, which makes uh, the life uh, of uh, oncologists and urologists uh, and radiation oncologists, of course, 
much easier because they can decide the different strategies, uh, they can plan uh, subsequent treatments. Uh, uh, well, of course, um, the, the, the key point is that right now we have uh, a lot of treatments available for prostate cancer. Uh, that clearly makes a difference. I mean, 20 years ago, there was not that many treatment options uh, and, and it's clear that the relevance of imaging uh, made sense just because you have many treatment options available otherwise it, it doesn't make any sense to have information if you can't uh, use them for uh, um, improving uh, the treatment of the patient that's clear it doesn't you you does you do not want uh... You have nothing to do with the, the outcome that you get of that. Yeah, absolutely. A typical example is uh, um, imaging of Alzheimer. I mean, PET, uh, brain PET, I mean, it's fantastic for imaging uh, the, the plaque in Alzheimer. But as far as you don't have a treatment option, uh, it doesn't impact uh, so much uh, in patient now management. Now, Biogen so, has come. They yeah, have got yeah. Exactly. So, so, I mean, yeah. maybe it could be a major uh, game changer in that scenario. But again, the capability of PET imaging to early diagnose Alzheimer uh, has been there since uh, 20 years. Uh, without uh, a therapeutic counterpart, uh, it, it, it's never been accepted. And we were scanning really few patients per year. Mm -hmm. Fantastic, fantastic for the future. And, and also uh, looking at this now, uh, also I saw some communi communication on treating. You can treat what you see, that's good, but also to treat what you don't see very early. Uh, well, that, that's a very delicate issue. I mean, the, the concept of Terranostic, it's clearly about, and that's also um the logo that we have for uh, this year enm you see it and you treat it that's to say uh, the diagnostic uh, tool is there uh, to provide you information about where the disease uh, is recurring or where the disease is spreading and uh, with this information uh, you can treat the patient uh, at the same time it's uh, it's done uh, well not only with the uh, interagnostic approach, but with other approach um, to make sort of blind treatment of the patient. If, if you think about the salvage radiation therapy, uh, in most cases, it was a, a blind approach to therapy. So in my view, I mean, it's not that teragnostic is wiping away every other treatment. In, in some cases, uh, you don't really need to see what you may plan to, to treat. Uh, but it's clear that demonstrating the presence of your target makes much more rational what uh, you are doing. And at the same time, uh, you can uh, see if uh, there is some location or some extension that makes the patient unsuitable for therapy. And you can use the same tool to demonstrate the suitability of the patients and to evaluate the response to therapy. So it, it's, um, it, it has a multiple capability of giving you uh, information because at the beginning uh, you can see, okay, the disease is in some nodes, uh, in some bone. I cannot use uh, a bone targeted only therapy. I'm not uh, able to do a metastatic directed therapy only because there are too many. So you have to have a systemic approach. Uh, 
and I can decide among the many. Um, and thereafter, you can demonstrate uh, uh, if you have a response. Well, of course, you will use PSA as well, but you can see that the lesion uh, have been reduced. You can see if there is an increase in lesion and so on. So it's a diagnostic. Uh, it's not simply see the hotspot and treat the hotspot. It's a bit more of that. Um, and, and sometimes it also may reinforce you uh, the concept that if you don't see nothing, you still have an information about the fact that you are should use alternative uh, approaches. So uh, again, it's not uh, uh, only about uh, seeing a hotspot. Sometimes, uh, you know, we were, uh, let's say, called the guys that are searching for the next uh, hotspot. Uh, it, it, it's not, I mean, Technically, it's partly true because uh, uh, as an imager, I'm searching for uh, accumulation of the tracer. At the same time, the, the information goes beyond it because uh, it's about the location, the extension, the presence, uh, um, and uh, the, the fact that I can, I can measure the extent of the disease and uh, the quality and extent of the response. So I'm, I'm very positive, well, as everybody, uh, regarding the future of Terranostic. Yeah, and it's quite clear that PSMA PET will be important in prostate cancer care in different stages. Uh, well, uh, yeah, mm, you know, PSMA is uh, it, it's a bit of a basket concept because, uh, you know, right now we have several ligands uh, and several isotopes. So essentially, it's a beautiful target for imaging. Now we are very sure that it's also a great target for therapy because the vision trial has been reported at ASCO and the success was uh, incredible, you know. So um, it, it, it's great to see that uh, an idea which is, uh, well, the idea itself, it's old because it's from the late 90s. Uh, but the fact of using a small... Uh, um, small ligand to treat it, which is relatively recent, has come so rapidly to such an impressive uh, uh, results. This is great, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it was some weeks ago where the vision was was uh, study was published. Um, we had Ken Herman in the podcast, and he he said that. Is the first successful prospective confirmation that PET-guided selection is successful. Do you agree on that? <clears throat> well, um, apart from the fact that Ken is one of my best friends and uh, <laughs> I will have dinner with him tonight, so <laughs> uh, I'm traveling to Essen in the afternoon. Um, oh, great. And, and, and uh, he is a really uh, super brilliant uh, young scientist. Uh, I cannot disagree, you know, because he is probably much smarter than me. Uh, and if you're impressed by my publication, well, you can be killed by the number of publications that Ken is doing and the number of <laughs> great tasks that is running. Um, but it's really something that we cannot even figure out uh, a decade ago because one of the major limitations of nuclear medicine, and I would say all the imaging area, is the lack of capability of running uh, 
well-designed trial. You know, uh, I, I used to attend hematological and oncological events, uh, and they have this beautiful uh, randomized clinical trial uh, that were ABM quality, and they led to registration, led to incorporation into guidelines, and we were simply unable to do that. Uh, for many reasons, I have discussed this issue a number of times with many colleagues, especially Rodney X from Peter Mac. Um, you know, some were intrinsic to the fact that we were not using a therapeutic agent itself. We were using an imaging agent that then has to be coupled with a therapeutic agent to change major object, objective like overall survival and so on. So that was one limit that you have two variables to study, uh, two different interventions linked but different, and that makes very difficult to design good trial. The other point was lack of sponsorship because uh, you know when you have a drag you have a owner you have a big farmer that puts the money on the table we don't have such a thing uh, i'm referring mostly to the let's say fdg trials uh, in some malignancy and so on now situation is completely different for for therapy uh, we had uh, a big farmer putting money over designing a fantastic trial uh, if you consider uh, you know how long it took to have uh, uh, the, the Netter trial, that was a trial for lutetium Dota Tate, to be completed and uh, published. It took really so many years, and that was the same for radium. It, it was a nice, but again, uh, there was a company beyond both trials, uh, and nonetheless, it took uh, a long time, a lot of efforts. Uh, now, the, the the time was surprisingly fast and the response, I guess that the, the entire scientific community was more mature, was more keen to accept. I mean, some way the previous trial paved the way for this acceptance of radioligand therapy coupled with the diagnosis. So the, the theranostic concept is now widely accepted. It was not the case. 10 years ago. Yeah. Is that the only difference then, that the, the field or the community has matured when it comes to diagnostics? Or is there any other differences, net one versus vision study, for example, now? Uh, <laughs> probably there are several components. Uh, well, the target uh, is great. But honestly, even the, the somatostatin receptor target is great. So by one side, it was a wise choice, and it could have been different with big companies putting a lot of money on that. They are very wise, and before spending that much, <laughs> they carefully evaluate how they are using their money. Um, it's also about uh, uh, getting more mature by our field. You know. Um, at the very first stage of Theranostic, every center of the few centers that were doing uh, Theranostic with, uh, well, at the beginning, it was not even lutetium, it was yttrium uh, and there were other isotopes. Uh, they were more likely keen to have, um, uh, let's say, personalized approach that in some case was definitely excessive. That to say every center was doing different dosing, different uh, administration uh, regimen, uh, which is um, 
somewhat romantic, let me use it, if you think into personalized cancer care, but at the same time by an evidence-based approach, it's absolutely unsustainable. I mean, you cannot run a trial if you pretend for every patient to decide uh, how many doses you will uh, deliver, which is uh, the amount of radioactivity. Sometimes they were also doing sort of cocktail of different isotopes. Okay, uh, that's funny, but uh, it, it doesn't uh, really fit with the modern ABM. So there's been a change in nuclear medicine mentality. That's to say you have to respect uh, uh, some some rules, uh, you have to respect some general agreed principles of science. That's to say you have to be consistent, you have to adapt some scheme. Um, then we may discuss about individual dosimetry, which is a, a different issue. But at the same time, um, we should be very practical and the data should be robust and consistent. So that, that made a difference. I guess that that was the problem with Netter. Netter was the first trial that really required many centers to adopt the same protocol. And because before that, there was the Rotterdam protocol, the Basel protocol, the Bad Burka protocol. And of course, they never end up with data robust enough to bring to any registration or incorporation into. It was more about... Uh, uh, being the local wizard, okay? So getting a reputation. Again, the target was great. So no doubt that it was working and that you can cure patients. Uh, but if you want to get um, the, the recognition from the oncologist uh, and, and and for from the entire scientific community, uh, you have to be consistent. You have to accept the fact that it, it can't be done uh, with your own... Uh, particular uh, recipe. <laughs> it should be reproducible, first of all. This is so valuable, Stefano, because this has been an ongoing, or still is an ongoing discussion versus this personalized or net one, only four doses and so on. And this is uh, the, the way you describe it. It explains, I mean, this is key to start. You have to start with a, a preset uh, treatment protocol. And then, of course, you can elaborate. Exactly, exactly. But that's a concept that uh, in the oncological area, it's been clarified like 20 years ago, probably more. Uh, that's been a limit of our interaction uh, with um, oncological and uh, hematological field. Uh, it happened to me that I used to go to the, to the ASH, the ASCO and so on. And the difference uh, between the quality of um, trial presented at uh, ESMO, ASCO and DASH, honestly, as compared to the imaging, uh, it's not only nuclear medicine, radiology has the same problem. Um, it was really horrible for me to see how poor our study design was, because we mostly have uh, retrospective data, 50 cases, uh, three centers uh, trying to pull uh, data, and even in the therapeutical area, it was uh, really discomforting to me to see how the situation was. And it's been really uh, a change in the attitude. And I have to be honest, it's been part of the contribution of the pharma to give us this uh, need. Uh, you know, sometimes there is this... Uh, 
perception of, uh, uh, let's say, selling your smartness to the pharma or this predatory aspect of the pharma, which uh, to some extent it may be true. I mean, I the pharma company are, are, are there to make money. That's super clear to everybody. And it's very legitimate because it's the reason why they do invest. So there's no, no problem on that. But uh, there is also some good side of this uh, approach. And that's to say, uh, the pharma are teaching us that things should be done in a very appropriate way. Otherwise, uh, it's just your very personal experience. It's just your siamanic, uh, uh, I'm, I'm not sure about uh, if this word exists, but that's to say sort of wizard, the magic approach, you know, the, 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 the native North America got this, uh, we say siaman uh, that cures you just putting uh, the, the ants uh, over your head uh, because yes, no, no, that's not the way to go. Uh, and again, when it was accepted, and the, and the neuroendocrine tumor is a perfect example, then it gets slowly into our blood and brain, I would say. So that was the reason why the vision came absolutely at the right time, because this awareness has already been fully incorporated. Uh, it came after the incredible success of PSMA as a diagnostic tool, so everybody was willing and ready to jump into the winning chariot because, uh, I mean, in, in Italy, for example, not being able to perform PSMA was a frustration for the centers that were unable to get access to PSMA PET. So everybody was there. Everybody has the right mind attitude. And uh, luckily enough, a company supported it the target was absolutely good uh, and uh, and results now confirmed that it was a great idea uh, uh, for some weeks ago we did a podcast about vision with ken herman as i mentioned and Bernd krause and oliver sarter and i asked oliver is this a te- is the 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 outcome of the vision trial is this the real takeoff for diagnostics and it's going to rule the world. You watch. It's going to come early. It's going to come often. It's going to go to other diseases. This is the theragnostic breakthrough we've all been waiting for. It's going to change the way we treat cancer. Do you agree? Uh, well, I, I do, I'm very happy for the enthusiasm of Oliver. He's a nice friend. Uh, and uh, even recently, I was so happy that finally we convinced the big name of urology and oncology to to get happy and to consider incorporating. Uh, I have to say that honestly, teranostic is something that we are doing since the 50s because the use of iodine, for example, for thyroid cancer is a perfect example of teranostic. So... Uh, in, in this situation, I would say, yes, I'm very happy. I'm very happy at the same time. Well, we told that long ago. <laughs> and as said, we told that long ago, but at the same time, we didn't use uh, the right argument because, uh, uh, again, even for iodine, there's been so long debate about how much iodine you have to give. <laughs> if you can give that even blind, because as you 
I don't know, probably you are too young to remember that, but there's been discussion if it was worth to treat with iodine a patient that has uh, no visible uptake in the diagnostic uh, finding. So yes, I, I do agree. And I'm, I'm very, I, I celebrate the enthusiasm after ASCO <laughs> with Oliver, with Michael Morris, uh, Ken Herman, Bern Krause, and all the, the others. The principles were there long ago. What we needed were better science and better target. Now we have the capability to run a good trial and, uh, well, hopefully, PSMA has already been demonstrated to have a great target. Maybe we can moving a step forward to other targets in the future. And what do you see for the future then or the next? What is key? What is important now to involve in studies direction? Uh, well, the, the key is to be lucky enough or smart enough to find another good target. So <laughs> that's the dream. I mean, uh, um, it, it, I don't know if it's about serendipity or uh, systematic research. Uh, it's always a mix up uh, because PSMA was so fantastic that, um, and again, we should be very happy with the people starting that uh, in, in North America and then in Heidelberg to promote it. Now, now the same guys in Heidelberg has um, designed the FAPI as uh, one of the potential next uh, target. Uh, there's a great interest. Again, we receive. Why FAPI then? Why uh, is it so fantastic? Well, so fantastic, it's still to be demonstrated, to be honest yes. with you. Uh, yes. it, it's just at the very beginning uh, that the premises are good because, well, first of all, uh, it's, it's a different target because it's about uh, fibroblastic activation. So it, it's not really cancer specificity of some uh, antigen or some uh, ligand. It's more about the environment. It's more about uh, another component that's, again, fibroblast activation. Um, so by, by one point of view, it's not so easy to predict the success because in prostate, you know, the number of patients uh, is potentially so high that, um, that the success is uh, literally around the corner. With FAPI, the potential cancer to be treated could be some ovarian cancer, some pancreatic cancer. So um, the, the number of candidates to such therapy has uh, largely to be established. But the principle is brilliant. And on, on the other side, you have the potential to treat many different malignancies given that you demonstrate, that to say, that you show the target presence. So the concept of Theranostic here comes to really the limit of not being uh, selective of one single malignancy, but to be potentially applicable in various situations where you can image the presence of FAPI and you can then decide to treat the patient. Again, we are talking on something which is very preliminary because the data exists since uh, like three, four years. Uh, ENM uh, this year has received really dozen of abstracts, but we are still in the phase of uh, one center trial involving like 50 patients and in the very majority for diagnostic use. But it's clear that uh, uh, it's the most rapidly growing uh, new uh, area, 
but at the same time, uh, at Again, I can mention ENM because as Congress Chair, I have the privilege to review all the abstracts before they are presented. Uh, there are dozens of other targets which are under evaluation. So the, the potential is incredible. Then uh, many of them are lost on the way because sometimes uh, you know the biodistribution is not favorable. You have accumulation in organs uh, that will prevent uh, any therapeutical possibility because, of course, uh, there are target organs uh, that you can't really uh, put at risk. Uh, some others, uh, you will never get a good ligand. So, um, you can't you connect. Will... You can't link them to anything. Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh. So there are so many potential drawbacks when you start. But uh, uh, what I see is that uh, there is an incredible incredible uh, uh, amount of studies in any possible direction, which is something that was not there even 10 years ago. Um, and, and again, it's a promotion that comes from the success of the results. So the, the, the vision, I would say, was in the air, the vision trial, I mean, <laughs> but the netter was known by everybody. Uh, and that has promoted uh, uh, the willingness of the many um, radio pharmacist laboratory around the world to study new ligands, to design. Uh, uh, you should be at the same time lucky and very smart to find a new one. So, fantastic. Let's see, it's already it. there. Yeah. It's much more. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, the, the pity is that when I attend those radio pharmaceutical sessions, I can barely understand 5% of what they say. But <laughs> the yeah. Yeah, but that is really a, a interesting observation, because as you talked about before, it's so important that the right people understand and prioritize this. Yep, because... Uh, um, you know, things uh, doesn't move by pure chance. Uh, so you need to put efforts. Uh, you you will always make a lot of mistakes uh, and many labs will be frustrated because their target is not working because uh, the uh, an unpredicted, uh, uh, you know, quote of uh, your drugs will go in some target organs and then you have to just uh, start from the very beginning. Uh, but the fact that results uh, are now there uh, it's very much motivating. It's motivating the people, it's motivating the scientists, and is leading companies to put some money there because, uh, you know, you can't really run science uh, with peanuts. You need uh, not much, but a bit of money is very helpful <laughs> to start those trials. <laughs> and again, it's about collaboration, of course. What can we uh, look forward for this October for the EN? Uh, yeah. It will be virtual, right? Unfortunately, yes. Uh, we will go virtual. It will bring some innovations because uh, it's my due as Congress Chair to bring innovation. Uh, and, and the first in-person will be 2022. But nonetheless, uh, we are trying to run a very exciting event. Uh, we will have uh, a number of, uh, uh, of sessions, uh, uh, live session, plenary sessions, uh, and at the same time, uh, we have received, luckily enough, a lot of material of great scientific quality. That's the most important thing. Yes, sounds so we exciting. Some, we, yes, we have breaking news that Declan Murphy will join for a session. 
Uh, Declan has accepted to be our guest star, and I told Declan, you can do whatever you want. You can talk about <laughs> whatever, from uh, cooking uh, Australian uh, plates, <laughs> uh, because, no, honestly, uh, we will have uh, some other special, uh, you, you know, virtual at the very beginning was exciting after one year of virtual. Uh, I mean, virtual congresses are a bit frustrating because we miss so much human interaction, networking. I mean, it's, it's good to not waste time uh, in the airport, but at the same time, uh, the, the human interaction makes a difference. Uh, so I'm trying to bring it there with the sessions which are based. Uh, so we will record session, for example, uh, in some uh, different centers and mix, the, uh, mix them. So that's the reason why I'm going to Essen, trying to make some, uh, let's say, live remote registration uh, with the people in Essen and the people in Bologna. Uh, I will uh, do some interviews that uh, will be um, part of the program. And of course, we will have a lot of science. So the plenaries uh, will be there and uh, we will try to, to make a good mix up of, um, you know, the, the science, which is uh, the, the core business. So abstract presentation as usual and so on, but a bit of innovation, try to be catchy, try to keep the interest high uh, and be, again, of scientific value, but at the same time, a bit entertaining. Cool development. Who do you think we should invite to the podcast for our, as our next guest? Oh, wow. Well, the, the, the big names, uh, you already got them, as you mentioned it. So Ken Herman, uh, Bern Krause, uh, and Declan Murphy. Uh, so these are absolutely outstanding and so on. Well, that, that's a, an, an easy question. Uh, maybe some clinicians that have been involved uh, and could make a lot of sense because they will just give you just Oliver Sartor, but I'm, I was thinking more to European uh, ones. Uh, so, for example, uh, I would say Karim Fizazi would be fantastic, or Silke Gillesen would be fantastic, or uh, even radiation oncologist, because, uh, again, they have uh, uh, an overall perspective. So Joe O'Sullivan is another great guy, uh, and they are also very, very uh, funny person with a lot of science, uh, but at the same time, uh, able to make uh, very much understandable even the more complicated uh, mix-up of therapies. <laughs> and uh, I'm always so happy when I listen to, to those guys, just like Silke Gillesen or, or Karim, that are able to let me understand those graphs showing uh, you know, uh, the difference uh, between one treatment, the other sequencing or the other, uh, the subgroup analysis and so on. Uh, well, that would be my suggestion. Oh, and of course, if you haven't done that before, Uwe Aberkorn. Oh, yes. yes. I mean, Uwe is the yeah. guy beyond PSMA yeah. and beyond FAPI. So FAPI, yes. Uwe Aberkorn, first yes. choice. First choice. Good. Thank you. Uh, one more question before we need to end. Uh, who do you think should receive the Nobel Prize for uh, their efforts in diagnostics? 
<laughs> well, that's super easy, <laughs> and that's the same name I just told you. Uwe Haberkorn made the difference. Uh, he's a good friend, and uh, when he showed me what was developing FAPI, because he really got the idea, he studied the target, and then he started with making uh, uh, one potential ligand, uh, refining it, uh, trying that into animals, and then moving to a second one, uh, and then to a third one. So, for example, if you're referring to PSMA, you know what we are using so frequently is gallium PSMA 11. And I was wondering why is 11, and it was for sure, because he, he has done 10 before that. <laughs> so when the FAPI, he came to Bologna and gave us a, a lecture, and he showed us how much is beyond that to get to uh, FAPI 46 that is used. I say, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And he's now running like FAPI 70-something. is is incredible. He is outstanding. There's uh, no doubt that he, he had uh, an incredible impact uh, on uh, on nuclear medicine. So I would absolutely support his candidature. Thank you, Stefano. Uh, have a nice flight to Essen this afternoon and say hello to Ken. Sure. With pleasure. Thank you for your time. Thank you so much. Uh, it's me to thank you. Yeah, and we will meet you again. You will attend to our webinar in September, talking Del about prostate cancer. Delighted. Looking forward to it. Thank Great. you again. All the Thank best. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Ciao. Bye bye. Bye bye. Janet, this was Stefano Fanti, and he will come back. Uh, and we will have a webinar uh, focused on teragnostics in prostate cancer, September the 2nd. Please check out LinkedIn or our website and you can see all the details, how you regist register to the webinar and so on. What do you think of Stabano? Oh, fantastic, impressive, humble and so great, smart and with the right view. And I think we got the, the question or the answer to the question why he is the spider in the web. With, with his yes. view, yes, working together, yeah, working to yes, working together, yeah, and and, and a common platform and uh, not uh, doing your own thing. You have to do it together. It's a take-home message for today. I think do it together. Uh, thank you, Annette. Thank you for today. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, please send us an email. Uh, podcast at samnordic.se podcast at samnordic.se check out our web page or our LinkedIn side so you don't miss any new episodes or webinars that are coming up thank you Annette thank Maybe you close Gustav. for today thank you Gustav all the bye best bye. stay tuned bye bye. stay safe bye